John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does, does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should, should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of God. Amen. You may be seated. It's great for us to be here again. Uh, the last time I actually preached in this uh, pulpit was uh, in 2010. Um, so that's been a long time, hasn't it? Uh, that was when we were on the mission field and we'd served with the International Mission Board for 26 years and we were here giving a report to your church. Now today, though, we're going to be looking directly at the Word of God. And I want to be talking about, I'm almost getting ready to walk, and if I walk away from here, you won't be able to hear me. I like to move. But um, that's hard on me, Daniel. <laughs> so I'm going to try to stick here so you can hear me. Um, as we look at today, I want to look at fulfilling your calling, fulfilling our calling as what God is doing, especially in this new year that started in January. And you probably have been thinking about the new year and, and no that you probably understand that by now most resolutions have gone by the wayside. And so we don't want to have resolutions. We want to really turn and focus upon what God wants us to do. Uh, there's a story I want to tell you that's in the Old Testament about Esther. Uh, if you remember Esther, and some of you may have read the book, some of you may not be familiar with it, and I'm only going to give you part of the story, and if you're interested, you want, might want to go back and read it later. Uh, in Esther, there was a king, uh, King Arasarus. He was a king of Persia. He got rid of his wife because she didn't obey him in one area, and so he got a new wife, and this new wife was named was Esther. Now, she happened to be the, the a person who was related to this man named Mordecai. He was actually her cousin, and he was raising her because she didn't have any father or parents. So she now becomes the queen. But Mordecai is one of these righteous Jews, and there was a man named Haman at this time. And Haman wanted him to bow down to him, and Mordecai would not do it. And so Haman became angry because he was a Jew, and he said, the Jews don't do this kind of thing. And so he gets so angry, he goes to the king and says, we need to get rid of these Jews. We need to kill, we need to annihilate, we need to destroy them. And actually they use all three words in, in that passage in chapter 3. And, he said, and the king says, whatever you want to do, you can go ahead and do. So when Mordecai hears about this, by the way, Esther and Mordecai are Jews, right? 
And when Mordecai hears about this, he gets all upset. He puts on sackcloth. He, he's fasting. He goes even and shouts in front of the king's gate, in front of the gate of the, of the palace area there. And Esther is, is just mortified. What's going on with this? What's the situation? So she sends out some clothes for him. He refuses to take them. And she wants to know what's going on. And so he tells her that there's been an edict by the king. And if you know anything about the edicts of the Persians at this point, once those are made, they can't be annulled. That law has been set in stone and it cannot be annulled. And so he says to her, you need to do something because the king wants to destroy us. They've, they set out this law and she, she says, well, what am I going to do? You know, what, what can I do? If I go to the king now without his permission, he, I'm able to be, he, I should be killed, in fact, that the king could kill me unless he holds out his scepter to me. So this is what Mordecai says to her. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come or will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And then he says this, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. As you and I are considering fulfilling our calling, and we're going to look a little bit at John 15 here in a minute. As we look at, at fulfilling our calling, you have been placed, uniquely placed, where you are. God has sovereignly set you where you are in order that you might be that person for, this, for such a time as this. And so where you're placed, the neighborhoods where you are, the churches that you attend, what, wherever you go, God has placed you there for a purpose that you might fulfill your calling that God has for you. And just like Esther, we are in perilous times, aren't we? Daniel already prayed for the race issues that are going on. He prayed for the abortion issues that are going on. There are all kinds of issues that are facing our country at this time. But God has placed you and placed me in our places right now to have influence for such a time as this. And so as we look at fulfilling our calling, we need to realize that our starting point in this is that God is always at work. Now, if you remember some parables that Jesus told us in Mark chapter 4, he talks about the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. Most of you are familiar with that. Remember, there are four kinds of soils. You got the sow the seed. Some goes on what? What goes on it? The pathway, what happens to it? It dies. Some goes among the rocks. It gets roots. It goes. It dies. Some goes among the weeds. It gets choked out. But some goes into good soil and produces a tremendous, plentiful harvest. And what, what the point of this is, is that as you and I are out sowing the Word of God, as we're out distributing the Word of God, we're going to get different responses. And sometimes you and I might get discouraged because of those responses, but God is telling us what we need to do is that we need to realize that God will bring a harvest. There is good soil out there, and we are sowing the seed, and we're sowing and looking for that good soil where God is going to bring it. God is working. And then in Mark chapter 4, he gives this other parable that I want to read to you because it's short enough and I don't have to go through the whole thing on it. But Mark chapter 4, starting in verse, got to get there, uh, down, down here, and he was a parable of the seed. And he said, was saying in chapter 4, verse 26, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. He goes to bed at night and he gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. 
The soil produces the crops by itself, then the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, the difference between this parable and the other one is, is obvious. All the man does is sow in the seed, right? And what happens? He just leaves it alone. And God, without even any activity is going on, God is bringing about a harvest. God is there growing that seed in that soil to produce a harvest. And you and I, as we look at it, that the coming of the kingdom of God is, is a process of growth that's really independent of human activity, except we're still sowing the seed, right? But the process itself, the growing of that seed, is something that God does. So what these parables are teaching us and help us understand that God is active in the work that he is going on and in, in the expansion of the kingdom of God. And the church, as the expression of that kingdom, continues to grow and expand. And remember what Jesus said, and the gates of hell or the gates of Hades shall not prevail against his church. I will build my church, Jesus told us. And so what we see by this is that God is active. God is working in us. And so as we look at fulfilling our calling, as we even look at what went on with Esther for such a time as this, God was still working and is still working today. And we have to use that as our guiding principle as we're looking at fulfilling our calling because sometimes we think it depends upon us when in reality it depends upon God and who He is and what He's doing. And so we need to realize that, that God is working. We may plan, we may sow, we may water, we may do all those things, but who gives the increase? God gives the increase. Now, God can only do what God's going to do what He's going to do, but we have to do what God requires of us, Right? We have to be involved in what God calls us to be involved in in order that we might see the kingdom expand, in order that we might be a part in doing and participating with God in where He is working. And our participation in during this time of, of being in God's grace, being in God's kingdom, is by God's grace in what He is doing. It's based on relationships. Everything that we do is based upon our relationships. And as we have these relationships, God uses us. He uses you and me in the expansion of his kingdom and what's going on. And the primary relationship that we need to, to focus on as we're looking at fulfilling our calling is that relationship with Jesus. That we must abide in Jesus, just as we've read already, in, through the word and through prayer. If we're not abiding in Jesus, we're not going to see the fruit, are we? If we're not abiding in Jesus, we're not going to see accomplished what God wants to see accomplished, and we're not going to be fulfilling the calling that God has upon us. Certainly, as members of the body of Christ, you, each of you are a part and have the Holy Spirit within you to be able to minister as, as, as God leads to one another and to serve one another in the body of Christ. But also, each one of us have a responsibility, right, to continue to grow in that abiding in Jesus Christ in order that we might be the people that God wants us to be. Now, if you are abiding in Jesus through his word and through prayer, and if you notice what Jesus said that when he talked about the disciples here in John chapter 15, he said, and you are clean. When he talked about it, cutting off the branches, but he said, but you, you are clean by the word that I spoke to you. And then he goes on to say that you're, I abide in you, you abide in me and I abide in you, that we receive our nourishment, our life, Right? Through Jesus Christ. That's what takes us and moves us forward. And then he said, and my words abide in you. And then he talks about prayer and praying all these things. So those are very important to us. But what's going to happen to us? If we abide in Christ through prayer and the word, God is going 
to change us. And there are three things I want to talk about today that he's going to change us. The first change that's going to take place in our life is he's going to change our focus. Sometimes our focus gets off kilter, right? We're not aligned with what God is focused upon. And so when we look at it, as we abide, our focus is properly aligned with what God is doing. And who's it about? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. There's a song now that's playing on K-Love, at least, talking about the fact that I don't want to leave a legacy. I just want to talk about Jesus. It's not my legacy that counts. It's Jesus that counts. And so you and I, as we're aligning ourselves, aligning our focus, it's got to be upon Jesus and who He is. And what we say is we hear His Word, we obey His Word, and holiness marks us, right? Because our focus is now on Him. It doesn't matter at all whether we're great at speaking. It doesn't matter about your ability to speak. It doesn't matter about your own wisdom. It doesn't matter about any of those kind of things that you do. It's about God's wisdom, about the gospel that He's entrusted to you, and it's about the wisdom that the Holy Spirit brings. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he talks about that when he was correcting the problems that went on in Corinth. We have to focus upon what God's focusing on, bringing that gospel about Jesus, not only to ourselves and in, in reminding ourselves about that good news, but in telling others about that great good news. And so our focus is going to change, and we're going to talk to him and talk about him in power and, and of the Holy Spirit at this point because of what he has done. The second thing that changes is our passions. Uh, Jonathan Edwards calls them our affections. <laughs> in the old, if you read Jonathan Edwards, he talks about the affections. Our passions, those things that drive us. What drives you? What moves you forward? What do you really value that there's, there's no compromise upon? And so as he changes our passions, one of the first passions that he changes, just what he commanded us, you will what? Love one another. And our love one another is going to be something we're passionate about. And I'm not talking about saying, okay, I love you, all right? Or we're something, oh, i got to feel love for the body of Christ. God is changing your heart and changing my heart so that really, when I say I love you, it's coming from a heart that's been changed and transformed by God in such a way that I love you. And so my passion is that I want to show that love in the body of Christ. And I'm passionate about that. It's something that, that, that drives me forward. But not only do we do it that way, we also have the compassion that Jesus has. If you remember in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was going around in the villages and he was preaching the kingdom of God. He was healing all kinds of diseases. And then he looks at the people. He looks at the crowds. And he has compassion upon the crowds because he sees that they're, they're harassed or dispirited. And they're helpless people. They're hopeless people. And because of that, he's moved with compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And what do you see when you're looking around the United States now? What do you see in your neighborhoods? What do you see in the conflicts that we have, the racial conflicts, the problems that we have with the abortion issues, with all those sort of issues that we face within our society? It's because we're, our people are really harassed. They're dispirited. They're without any hope in Jesus Christ. And so my compassion and your compassion has to be that we love them in such a way. And then he goes on to say, because of that, therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest that he might send workers in to the harvest. You see that compassion, what does it does? It ties together our prayer life and praying that God is going to move in the hearts and lives of our friends, our family, our neighbors, all of those that we want to see God moving in such a way. And, and to be honest with you, brothers and sisters, as, as I've been looking at this, and John, remember John 15, 16, he just read to us. 
He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. All right, now in this case, the fruit he's talking about is really seeing people come into the kingdom. And that fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, it will come to pass. How often are we praying for the lost? How often are you praying for your neighbors? How often is your passion, the love that you have for one another, how about, is that love so much within us and, and a part of us that we want to go and share with our friends, with our family, with our neighbors, with our coworkers? Are we moved in such a way that it does it? Because, let me tell you something, if we're not abiding in Jesus through his word and prayer, we're not going to have that kind of passion. It's not going to be there. It's not going to be there. And so as we are abiding in it, he changes our, our focus, he changes our passions, and he changes our identity. Do you know that? Sometimes we say, what do you do? This is my identity. I'm a dentist, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a pastor, or whatever the case be. That's not our identity. Our identity is tied up in who Jesus is and what Paul tells us, and Paul recognized it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says that we're nothing more than servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. You and I are stewards of we've been entrusted with the mysteries of God, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're servants of Jesus. And that word servants actually is, is a very different word from the normal word of servant, talking about that relationship with the master, that we listen to the master and are willing to serve him. So your identity, if you ask, what is my identity? Your identity is your servants, your stewards. But not only that, because of God, by God's grace, you are also master builders. And you're laying a foundation of the gospel and whatever you're doing. And that, and that, I think, is something that we as a church are. We are the church. We're wise master builders, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And we're building upon the right foundation of Jesus Christ. And then as we go forward, he said we're ambassadors for Christ, appealing to others to be reconciled to God. Wow. We're servants. We're stewards. We're wise master builders. We're ambassadors we go forward appealing to people, get reconciled to the God that we know. And then there, we're also a fragrance of Christ to God. There's a beautiful aroma that we bring because we have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ in our lives because we've trusted him with everything that we have and now he's transforming us and we're a fragrance to God. And by the way, if you keep going in that chapter from chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians to chapter 3, we find that we are competent and confident in Jesus Christ. If you are lacking, if you're fearful in sharing, our confidence and competence comes from Jesus. It's not in yourself. It's not what you manufacture. It's as you abide in Christ through prayer and the word. Remember, we're fulfilling our calling, what God has called us to be and to do. As stewards, as servants, we're to do these kind of things, but it cannot happen if we do not abide in Jesus, through the word and through prayer. As we go on, we also have relationships not only with Jesus, but we have relationships with non-believers and with believers, don't we? And out of those relationships, we're able to take those changes that God makes in it. Our focus, our passions, our identity helps us as we relate to those two different groups of people. And I want to talk about three areas that that, that relates to. Then you said I'd go for an hour, right? No, he said he didn't say that. <clears throat> um, so I'm going to go earlier than an hour, right? Okay, so you're all happy. Anyway, so we go on. 
one of the areas that we're going to talk about is the gospel. As we're relating to people with the gospel, if you relate with as believers, as fellow believers with the gospel, what are you doing? Are you helping one another, training one another, challenging one another, encouraging one another in sharing the gospel? That's our job. It's not just the pastor's job to tell you to share the gospel. We can encourage one another. As you're gathered in your home groups, and I know you're having home groups, as you're gathered together, you're saying, what is God doing in your life? What have you been able to share with your friends, with your family, with your neighbors? What is going on in your life so we can encourage one another? And by the way, if you don't know how to share the gospel, you need to get with someone who does and let them practice with you. I can still remember when I came to Jesus Christ, I was 17 years old. I didn't know, as I was Zippo, okay, as far as that. And when I came to Christ, I wanted my family to know Jesus. It was, I was driven by that. I didn't know what to do. I laid four spiritual laws all around the house, okay, hoping that my family will read them. The other thing I did is I took my, my brothers and sisters to church with me. But I didn't know how to share the gospel with them. I should have been taught how to share the gospel. And then what happened to me is one of our youth directors came and said, Vern, you want to come with me, go visiting to some of the people that have been coming to church? Yeah, I'll go with you. So we go with him. The first one, he gets up there and he talks and shares with this person about Christ and shares what God is doing at the church and how he can become involved. We go to the next door, he knocks on, he said, oh, by the way, Vern, it's your turn. Whoa. You talk about a scared rabbit, you know, at that point. I've never opened my mouth like this in front of anybody. But he was there. He was there, and I knew he could help me, and I knew what God had done in my life through Jesus, and I knew that I could share with them, and I was able to. So get with someone who knows how to do it if you don't know how. Talk to your pastor if you don't know how. Talk to some of the elders if you don't know how, in order that you can be able and equipped to share that good news. And secondly, as, as you're dealing with a non-disciple, what are you going to do? Share the gospel. If they don't know Jesus, just share the gospel with them. Share what, what God has done in Christ Jesus, how he sent his son because he loved us so much and because he knew that we were in such bad, dire shape that we needed new life. And that I have been able to experience this new life because I was a person that I knew was separated from God and I didn't like being separated. And God sent Jesus and he did such great things. Such a perfect person doing everything that needed to be done for God in a total obedience to God. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He cast out demons. He was in control of all nature. And then he did something spectacular. He went to the cross for me. And he went to the cross so that I could have eternal life. And for you, so that you could know redemption in Jesus Christ. And all he asks us to do is surrender to him. Put aside ourselves and surrender to him. And as we surrender to him, new life will come for us. Forgiveness for our sins. Wow, that's good news. That's hope. That's life. And so we have something that we can share with our friends, with our neighbors, and with our families that we want them to know Jesus in that personal way. Second area is discipleship. If you have a new disciple, Every one of us, okay, every one of us should be able to help that new disciple to grow. The first things you need to teach someone, if you lead someone to Christ, the first thing you do is teach them how to share with their family. Teach them that immediately because they're fearless, okay? They're fearless at that first few months. And we need to teach them to know how to share with those friends that they have, with their family members so that they can share the greatness because they're excited about what Jesus has done in that forgiveness. Do you remember when you came to Christ? Do you remember how you felt? 
Do you remember that excitement was there deep within you? That, that excitement should still be in us, but really, when that first time, it was incredibly exciting for me. And I hope it's incredibly exciting for you too, what Jesus has done. So help them to do a short-term discipleship. Help them know what it means to pray. Help them know what it means to study God's Word. Help them know what it means to come to worship. Help them what it means to know about giving. Why do we give our money? Is the church just after our money? No. We give because we love Jesus, because we know He owns everything that I have. It's not because He doesn't. It's because He does own it that I can give part back to Him, knowing that even what I have, I have to steward well because it belongs to Him. So we need to be able to teach them that. For the non-disciple, what do we do? We continue to share the gospel. But you know what? Many times you'll share the gospel with someone and they may not come to Christ, but they may come to church with you. They may come and listen. They may come to be a part of it. And I just saw a, a video from the International Mission Board about a lady in Brazil that she was interested. She liked the people. She had a relationship with some of the people and she kept coming to church, but she never really committed her life. And then one day, After going through some discipleship, she said, this is what I want. I want new life in Jesus. And you talk about the tears flowing with the people who were there and her tears flowing because God had transformed her. And sometimes it doesn't take place immediately, but because of our relationship with them, they could come to be a part of a home group, part of a discipleship and say, this is real. God actually changes lives. And these people are different because they know Jesus. So you can see that a part of that is bringing that person into it. And, you know, as we we look at that, I want to lovingly help all of our disciples to move into a long-term discipleship program. Today, there's going to be a couple of big games on television, right? Yeah. You can go to New Orleans, or you can go, I guess it's in Kansas City, and there are going to be some huge games. Let me ask you a question. How many participants are going to be there? Maybe 100, maybe 120 participants. How many spectators are going to be there? Hundreds, probably tens of thousands in the stadium. Maybe many of millions looking. You know what, brothers and sisters? The church is not about being a spectator. It's about being a participant. Because the participants are there because the people want to get money. They want them to be consumers and consume. But we are here to be participants because we want to serve. And that's what discipleship is all about. And as you're dealing with discipleship and helping people in discipleship, we're helping people to serve and to be a part of what God's doing here. I like the idea of having a membership. You know, what's going to come in? What's this about? How can we serve? And if you're not serving, think about how can I serve the body of Christ here? How can I serve my neighborhood? How can I serve the people around about me? Because serving Jesus is what it's about. You're a participant. You're not a spectator. Right? Say that with me. I am not a spectator. I am a participant. And I'm going to play the game that God has given to me, right? Is that what you're going to do? Amen. Because that is what God has called us to do and to be as we look at what we're supposed to do in that identity. And the third area that we want to talk about is leadership. And those of you who are leaders here, leadership is relationship. That's what it boils down to. If you're in business, Leadership is relationship. If you're a supervisor, leadership is relationship. If you're a mom or a dad, did you know you're a a leader? (laughs) Leadership is about relationship. And what we find is that leadership is relationship, and much of what we people, leaders do, is learned by example. 
And so as leaders, I want you to realize that you need to do some things. You need to model, you need to assist, you need to watch, and you need to love. Model, example, be an example of what God wants you to be and what others can be. And so they can look at that as you're building up leaders within the group. You model, you assist. Remember that, what that youth minister did with me? He was assisting me to be able to share, scared little rabbit that I was, share what Jesus had done in my life, assisting me. And he was also watching me. How is that playing out in my life? So that, yes, I could release this person. And by the way, after that, I was taking other people with me and going visiting to the youth. How did that happen? He took me, I went and shared, and then I take others and we go and share. And it passes on. That's discipleship. And that's what leadership is all about. And if you're a leader, you need to be mentoring someone. If you're not mentoring someone, you need to look for someone. And someone needs to say, would you mentor me? And if you're not a leader within the body and you see a leader here and you say, will you mentor me? Will you help me to become all that God wants me to become in Christ Jesus here today? It'll take time. It'll take some effort. It'll take some points that you're going to be going on. But look for that. As we mentor and help others to mentor, we help them understand that leadership from, we look at leadership from Jesus' model. Now, there are a lot of good corporate models out there, and you can learn from some of the corporate models, but really the leadership model that we want to follow is Jesus' model, where Jesus looks at servant leadership. Okay? How do I serve? Remember, he related to the people, how he relates. He walked with them. They looked at real-life situations. And so as leaders, you have a responsibility to help in the building of the body of Christ. We're done. Except for responding in faith. How are you going to respond this morning? What, What are some responses that you can do? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you don't know anything about what I'm talking about, I would encourage you to talk to someone about it today. You need to come to understand that God loved you so much, and you've already heard it several times. He loves you so much that He would send His only Son, His unique Son, that He would die in your place, take the punishment you deserved, so that you could know Him and have a relationship and intimacy with Him. You need to, if you haven't done that, you need to do that today. You need to talk to someone. Tell them what you've done if you've done it. Secondly, if you're members of the body of Christ, I've got one word for you. By God's grace, fulfill your calling. Okay? Not on your efforts, by God's grace. And how are you going to do that? You have to abide in Jesus through prayer and through the Word. If you are not taking time daily in the Word and in prayer, why don't you make this day the beginning of doing that? Start today and let it become a habit of your life that from here on out, every single day, I will spend time with Jesus in His Word. I will spend time in prayer because I want to be changed into the person that God wants me to be. And I want my heart, my focus aligned with Jesus. I want those passions of Jesus to be mine. I want to be loving. I want to love others. I want to be in prayer for others. And then I want my identity. I want to know what that identity in Jesus is, how I am to be that person, that servant, that steward, that master builder, if you will, that ambassador for Jesus Christ, as you think about that. Hear the words of Jesus again. Remember that God has placed you where you are for such a time as this. Remember what Jesus said, you did not choose me, I chose you. 
and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask in my name, so it will be done to you. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we do thank you so much for your grace and for your goodness and for your word. And Lord, our heart's desire is to see you magnified and glorified. And Father, as your people are gathered here this day, I pray that your hearts would be moved to, to want to abide in you each and every day and that that would make a difference in how they relate to one another, how they relate to the world, and Father, how they focus, change their focus upon you. Father, I ask that if there might be one person here who maybe has dropped back and slid away and perhaps Father is not pursuing you as he needs to pursue you, that today would be the day that they would say, I'm going to change, God. I'm going to get in your word today. I'm going to be praying. And I'm going to ask others to hold me accountable. I'm not going to do it on my own because I know that you put us in the body of Christ to help one another. Father, I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that you have stirred in their hearts in such a way that they're willing to learn more, if nothing else, that they just want to know more about you, know more about Jesus, know about, more about what it means to be a part of this community, this community, this assembly known as the church of the, the Apostles' Church. Father, we would pray that you would speak into their hearts. Father, as we come to this time, we, we just pray that as we hear the music, as we sing, that any commitment that we need to make will be made for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.